0: The History of Personal Computing. History of History of 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 Personal Computing. The History of Personal Computing.
1: Computing.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the History of Personal Computing, and I'm David Grealish, and I am joined by Jeff Salzman. Hello. And we are here today with Bob Applegate, and he is the creator of the SWTPC-SS50 Flex. It's a uh, reproduction of the—I think the actual computer was the SWTPC-6800, mm-hmm. and, um, and we, we met Bob at VCF East— recently and so we wanted to talk to him about what he's doing. So, welcome Bob. Well, thank you. How are you doing today? Doing great. <laughs> now
2: that we got the audio problems yes, taken care of. It's a beautiful day in New Jersey.
0: Yeah, it was very it's really nice still here in the Atlanta
1: area. How about how about you, Jeff? Oh, it's windy. All, our wind is blowing over to New Jersey right now. <laughs> is it sunny and clear that's the way it's been here all day yeah i was supposed to do some painting today around the house but i'm glad it went it was so windy that i couldn't you know get on the ladder and do stuff so it actually saved me <laughs> so we've all uh, enjoyed a,
0: a nice weekend a nice sunday especially and uh, it's kind of things kind of cooled down for some weird reason this weekend but um, i think the temperature's going to go up again is that the way it was for you bob is it a little bit cooler than
2: yeah, it was definitely a nice warm, very warm summer day yesterday, then a uh, storm came through and it was maybe the sixties today, so definitely a lot wow. cooler.
0: Okay, so maybe there's a cold front coming over the whole east coast or something. I haven't I didn't watch the weather <laughs> last couple of days, I don't know. Well, okay, so in any case we uh both Jeff and I saw you, Bob, at VCF East and you were in the vendor area and you were selling a uh I guess a not just the, the sixty eight hundred, right? But you had that – primarily, you had that set up. And um, so you have created a reproduction – well, actually, let's do this. Let's let's go buy our proper notes. So tell us a little bit more about yourself. So where do you live?
2: Okay. Well, I live in southern New Jersey, a little town called Medford. Okay. Um,
0: And how far away is that from where the VCF East uh, uh, happened?
2: It's it's about – hour south of there uh if the the only major city around is uh philadelphia pennsylvania actually we're about 20 miles more or less due east of center city philly okay nice little community quiet is that where you're from originally Uh, a little bit further north i grew up on a farm but uh, i was a little bit a little bit north of here but i'm always in new jersey okay
0: and uh, how about what, what do you do you know for a living
2: Uh, I am a consultant, mostly doing embedded systems work. Uh, Right now, I have one primary customer doing high-speed digital switches, uh, 10, 40, 100 gigabit kind of stuff. Um, And I do a lot of low-level work, a lot of low-level software dealing with the hardware. Very comfortable dealing with hardware and the hardware engineers. I like hardware people. And um, so that's where I do most of my work. But then, again, on the side, I've got uh, other things. I do some vintage computer work. And also, I have some consulting jobs maintaining legacy systems. There are people still out there selling Z80-based systems, and uh, I do work for them.
1: So, is that kind of what got you started into creating uh, th- these devices, uh, these um, reproductions? That-
2: well, actually, I, I had my very first computer was a Kim One, great computer, great great learning tool. And back in the day, I used you know, like most people, went to Radio Shack, bought a wireless breadboard, and And got a couple of 2114s. I added one extra K of memory to my Kims. So it was great. I had double the amount of memory in it. And uh, probably about 15, maybe 20 years ago, I started acquiring Kims because people didn't want them. They were just junk. No one liked them. They weren't good for anything. Mm -hmm. And I could pick up Kims real cheap. Now you look on eBay now and they go for crazy prices. But back in the day, I was picking them up sometimes $20, $30. People just didn't want them. And uh, so, you know, I. I really need more memory. So I started building boards for the KIM, an I.O. board, a 4K memory board. 4K seemed like a lot. And so I had all these KIM accessories I was building. And, you know, back in the day, back in the 70s, I really liked Southwest Tactical Machines. I liked the 6800. That was out of my price range. Mom would not let me spend that kind of money for a computer. The KIM was cheap. If I'd buy a Southwest Tactical Machine, it was a lot more money, and I'd get a terminal, so um, it wasn't quite midlife crisis you know some guys in midlife crisis they go out and they buy the cars they couldn't get as teenagers and they rebuild them etc i said you know i'm going to build myself a southwest technical machine i started looking on ebay and looking around the various mailing lists and bits and pieces show up but they were kind of pricey unknown whether or not they worked, and sometimes they've been hacked up so it's kind of was uneasy about it
1: uh, so it's kind of like that uh, midlife crisis leaving a legacy bit right
2: y- yeah and i kind of looked at it and said why am i trying to do this all, all i really want i don't really care if i have a southwest technical machine that'd be nice but i just want to program a 6800 so i can build all this myself and off i went and i started building boards
0: okay.
2: did you find was it easy to find like the
0: um i'm, I'm in no way an engineer or program or anything but i guess like was this Information to replicate these things was that easy to acquire? The, the yes. plans, I guess you call it, or the specs, or
2: oh yeah, whatever. Um, of course, www.swtpc.com has mm-hmm. links to all of Mike Holly's huge, huge, huge collection of documentation. Okay. Um, who
1: resource. Yeah.
2: Oh yeah. Anyone who doesn't know what Southwest machines are should look at Mike's site, and it's just okay. unbelievable. He's got every board they made, documentation, pictures schematics everything is there and
0: we're going to link to that as well your site as well as that site in the show notes but you know did swtpc back in the day did they did they publish these uh that sort of stuff or or not really back then
2: well back in the day yes i mean you bought a board from a company that includes schematics um a lot of times they were kits. so okay here's the bag of parts and here's the schematic and here's the circuit board have fun okay so everything Mike has online are things that were uh, produced by Southwest Technical. And people had done some additional work, like there's a newer version of the monitor, things like that that are online. But anyway, that was a good starting point. Um, some of the design I took kind of the way it was, other things that made changes. Uh, rather than having a 1K you know, on the board using uh you or know, 2 chips, I said, you know, I can uh, make this a little denser here. I can get a 64K, well, actually 128K memory chip, I'll use that. So I I did some modernization to it, but try to keep it more or less, you know, using discrete components, not using uh, CPLDs or FPGAs or anything fancy like that.
0: Yeah, so you were replicating the functionality. I mean, you were actually – you have created essentially a real SWTPC just with modern components because you weren't trying to make it authentic with old parts and
2: that sort of thing. But also you're not emulating it or whatever. Right. It's not an emulation. It is a real machine. So the 6800 machine does have a 6800 on it. The 6809 has a real 6809, um, uses discrete components. I use higher-density memory, higher-density uh, EPROMs on the board. But other than that, it's very much the same. So, now, you, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, one of the interesting things is, is that you look at the original schematics and read the description for how things work, and you say, you know, these don't quite line up exactly. And so I built, spent a lot of money actually building boards based on the original design, and they didn't really work. So I had to debug things and figure out, well, what's actually going on here? So I had to make changes to it, and I had another hardware engineer friend of mine, uh, Bob Greeb take a look at it. And Bob said, I don't think this really worked well, but no one had a lot of memory back then, so maybe they never realized it didn't work correctly. Uh, I see. So, So there were some questions about whether or not it was actually done right back in the day, Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't have an original to test it against. So I said, look, I I have a description of what it should work like. I'll make it work that way. And it seems to be close enough, so apparently I did a good enough emulation that it works.
1: So it sounds like you re-engineered the system to be as true as the spirit of the original one by using off-the-shelf parts and stuff. You mentioned you didn't use any FPGAs and stuff because those can solve a lot of issues in reproductions, but you decided to go away from that and just re-engineer what it did with what you can get now.
2: Basically. I mean, okay. you know, you know, to be frank, I could have bought a big FPGA and had one board with uh, an FPGA, you know, one or two crystals, and RS-32 you know, driver max, you know, 233 or something, and mm-hmm. bingo, I could emulate the whole thing Using uh, you know soft core processors, but th- that wasn't the fun for me. I learned a lot about the whole system and learned a lot about the sixty eight hundred bus and you know the, the, the way the bus is structured by actually building it, debugging it, watching it with a logic analyzer. So it's you know I kind of built it for me. This is something I wanted, and said I'm going through all this effort. I might as well see if I can't sell a few boards too. I think that's that's really cool. I mean, because like you said, you've it's
0: you've recreated it essentially, making it better. I call it the SWTPC special edition. Yeah, <laughs> the, the, uh, the, the, the two plus or something. Right? Yeah. yeah, well, you know, like a movie special edition where they like re yeah <laughs> redo the, the, the special
1: effects, <laughs> the director's, the engineer's cut, that's right. what it
0: is. But I just think it's great how it's right. You're right. You didn't take the shortcuts. You, it's really still has the, it has the essence of the real
2: machine with the bus and everything. And I and, just think that's pretty neat. And you know, what I liked, what I don't like about you know modern computers, all the vintage computer people say the same thing is you can't fix it. Um, the video broke. Well, you throw the board out, you buy a new one. You, you, there's nothing to fix on it. Um, you know, RAM's failing. We just unplug the whole thing. You throw it in the trash. You, Ordered on Amazon, two days later, you plug it in, you're, you're up and running again. Back in the day, we had to fix the computers. You'd mm-hmm. buy stuff, and a lot of times it didn't work out of the box. You'd buy a kit, you build it, it didn't work. Well, now I have to start debugging the thing. And while that was frustrating, it also kind of had some fun to it. So when it got done, you pointed to it and said, you have no idea how many hours I spent making this memory board work, but I got it working.
1: I beat and there's it. there's a level of satisfaction there that you just... You can't explain to other people unless you've experienced it yourself.
2: Yep. I mean, I, you do the same thing with car people where, you know, someone has rebuilt a car, and I said, I can just go down the street and buy a, you know, cheap Honda or whatever, and it does the same thing. They say, yeah, but I, I did all this myself. I, I understand. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, so you, and the other thing is that uh, you can repair my machine. So let's say something bad happens. You know, you drop it and, or you stack charge it or whatever. everything's replaceable. Everything can be fixed you know all the parts are off the shelf
0: so there's two primary um you know reproductions or machines that that you make and sell there's the the SS50 flex and then the SS50 flex and um are they uh, or tell us a little bit about other than the obvious difference of the processor what else is maybe different about it and of course they're based on the original systems that SWTPC made themselves um, what else is kind of different about them other than the, the processor
2: well, well, one of the things I did the, the original Southwest tactical architecture, you know, back in the early days, the idea of having a lot of memory was just unbelievable. You know, 8K was a lot of memory, mm-hmm. so they had a strange memory map. They put I/O starting at location 8,000 hex, so it's right smack in the middle of I/O space or the, the memory space. So you only could have 32K of memory in the early. A lot of the people who had Southwest machines only had 32K, assuming they maxed it out well, I got all this RAM laying around, so I can fill in all those other little areas by a little tighter decoding, so you can flip a switch on my board and you've got more memory there, um, et cetera. Now, the other big thing going for the 6809 is it had dynamic address translation, or DAT, um, which was, there were three or four different non-compatible ways various companies did address translation, so you could get more memory. The 6809 was... It's really, it's an 8-bit processor with 16-bit extensions to it. It's not a 16-bit processor that can do 8-bit stuff. Um, it only had a 16-bit address bus, so it only could address 64K of RAM uh, or of memory. So to get more memory out of it, to do cool things like a uh, multitasking operating system, is you can uh Southwest Technical added the ability to uh, do sort of uh, address rewriting so you can map regions of memory in and out. So if I had a program that was sitting in low memory, the lower 32K, and I said, well, I need to task switch to another program, I could map out that tire 32K and, and put in another block of 32K memory in the same spot and continue to run that program. So that's the big advantage. And of course, the processor is much more powerful. 6809 got a really nice instruction set.
1: Yeah, the OS9 operating system takes advantage of all that too, doesn't it?
2: Yes. And I and I don't have OS9 running, but I've got a couple of customers who are working on the port, and I hope they get that working.
1: That that's going to open up a whole new field of uh, hobbyists and collectors, and you know that'll open up a bigger market for
2: you. And. It, and they've come along and said, you know, you really need to have this sort of board. And, and like one guy said, well, I can build this myself. And I said, no, I got this covered. Uh, I got something new for you that will solve that problem. So as they, they hit, not limitations, but as they tell me, here's requirements we need to run OS 9, a lot of times I can say, I got that actually covered someplace. I kind of thought this through. Give me a day or two and I can get something out to you to solve that problem.
0: Um, Bob, how well, um, how well is everything selling? Good response.
2: Well, it, it's not a huge market, but no, uh, no, I
0: wouldn't expect but, it to be. But
2: yeah, I, I can't leave my day job. Um, <laughs> but, but actually, the, the sixty-eight to nine based machines are selling. Uh, I guess probably better than I really had anticipated. Oh, good. Interest, interesting thing is, I'm selling more to Europeans than in the US. How? Why do you think that is? I I don't know, but a um, lot of lot of uh, emails and questions from Europe, and a lot of sales over there. And I certainly sell some to the states, but. Uh, they're buying a lot. It's kind of funny. Different areas have different things. And I like, was having a chat with a customer today. And I, the guy happens to be also in Georgia. And I said, uh, it's funny. I said, there's a whole group of people down in like Georgia, you know, South Carolina, North Carolina, uh, Tennessee, and Florida that are buying lots of blank boards from me and building up their own, their own systems. And most of the boards they sell are in that area for some reason. Yeah. Um, and like I go to both VCF uh, East in New Jersey and VCF Midwest in Chicago. East, I sell a lot more Kim things usually. You know, this is Commodore country. Commodore was literally across the river. So this is you know, big. So the 6502 was created by Moss Technology. So that's all this area. Um, I go out to the Chicago show, and there's a big Commodore crowd out there. But there's also a lot of guys doing 6809s and 6800s. So that's where I sell those machines. So there's do, different parts of the country have different kind of hotspots. Do
0: you think um, as far as the um, the 6809 Flex system uh, selling well in Europe, do you think maybe because it sort of represents this type of system, American system, that just never existed there? And so that's – I, mean, I mean, don't know, but I wonder if that might be something about it. Some, it's like an exotic system <laughs> to yeah, play around
2: with. Well, either that or I don't know – what all their market looked like back in, you know, the, the late 70s, early 80s. Maybe they had a lot more 60 to nine based machines and was better yeah, established. Maybe. And people were, you know, in the States, of course, the Cocos, uh, you know, were 60 to nine right. based But, you know, the PC was really coming along at that point. So the Coco maybe didn't get as much, you know, following as it could have if it were a little bit sooner. So maybe in, in Europe, I, you know, I don't hopefully not insulting Europeans, maybe they didn't have the influx, the IBM machines, and so they had a better uh, chance to establish other neat processors like the 6809, and they had other systems over there.
1: Yeah, it's like some people in the U.S., there's a, a, a niche of people who want the spectrums, you know, because we don't get them over here. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you have... You've done stuff with the Chem one and the SWTCP, well, the, the SS50 system. Have you had any ideas for any future reproductions of other systems?
2: Um, I play around, but frankly, I've got a lot of boards right now, and I've got a full-time consulting gig, which you know basically pays for almost everything. The boards make money, but I can't afford to leave a full-time consulting job to work on them. Right now, I've got a lot of boards that are you know that I have to maintain inventory for. I'm afraid mm-hmm. to expand too much more because pretty soon I'll have so much stuff I won't be able to maintain it all. Okay, I understand that. Yeah, you know, I'm going to pick up a couple boards myself sometime. You know, maintaining a, a supply of, of parts and um, and I came. F- you know, I am a full time engineer, and again, I work closely with hardware groups, so I understood their way of doing things. So, what I worked with the various companies, the the good methodologies they use for hardware development and ongoing product support i use you know internally i mean i've got actually my own procedures here's how this board is built here's how the board is tested so it's not like well i sit on my bench to kind of slap some parts together right so i do everything through procedures i came from a a company that did uh, tl9000 which is a a quality standard so i'm used to doing things by processes and i have processes to do all the boards and after a while it's like if i add a lot more products and it's just a lot more work
1: Okay. It, it maintains quality, yeah.
2: Yeah, it maintains consistent quality, but it, it just every new product adds a lot more paperwork, more stuff, more source code control because everything's controlled, everything's you know taken care of. You know, if the if the uh, building burned down here, it would um, it wouldn't take me very long to be up and running again because everything's off everything you know everything's in source code control off-site. I can restore everything.
1: That's the way to do it. <laughs>
0: Well, and and so, Bob, of course, I I purchased a 6800 system from you. I'm sorry to say I haven't had a chance to to do anything with it yet. I had wanted to before the interview, but I'm really excited to. And um, I just think, me, as I guess I call myself a layman as far as that stuff goes. I can just look at it and see the quality. That's why I was so impressed with it at VCF East, just looking at what you did. I'm excited to have it and to learn more about it and the the original system.
2: That was fun. I got the... the I built the serial board first. Um, I, built, I had to do the motherboard and the CPU board together because I, I didn't have either one of them to test with. I didn't have any originals. So they were all kind of, oh, I hope this all works. Once I had that running, I really, really had fun with the 6800. I kept adding more like, little games, utilities to the monitor. I just enjoyed that so much. I, I spent you know, a lot of my career doing 6502 programming, and 6800 is very easy to go you know, back and forth with. So I just really enjoyed that. And the people were saying, you got to get a sixty to nine baseboard. Like, oh, okay, okay, I'll get around to doing that. But I was really <laughs> enjoying the 6800. I, I was very happy with that.
0: And, of course, I'll, uh, I'll mention I was uh, I, I bugging Bob to try to come up with a, a case. But I know that was something you were sort of looking at anyway. But, I, but uh, um, Jeff, I was talking to Bob about it. I'm going to try to build my own just out of like a basic sort of thin wood. And okay. then maybe replicate just like an image of the actual – machine and you know and put that on the front just do do it myself try to do something interesting looking you have the fun of it that's yeah yeah but it's playing with the hardware the you know the actual computer itself so it makes it fun all right so we're going to move into another uh avenue here because i did not know this about you until we spoke a little bit before doing this interview but you used to work for franklin computer corporation
2: yep i was um was employee number like sixty four or sixty nine, something like that? One of the, the certainly low number.
0: And um, and so just before we, we we kick into that, I'm going to read just a little blurb here from Wikipedia. So it says Franklin was originally named Franklin Computer Corporation. It was a manufacturer of clones of the Apple II series computer, which it first marketed in 1982. In early 1982, Franklin released the Franklin Ace 100, and in March of the same year, the Franklin Ace 1000. They were very close copies of the Apple II and Apple II Plus computers, respectively. The motherboard design is nearly identical, and Franklin also copied Apple's ROMs. Two months later, Apple Computer sued Franklin for copyright violation. Franklin initially won. So I didn't – I'm not going to read the whole thing for <laughs> Wikipedia we're going to talk to Bob about it and you can you can read more about it. But um, were you – so when did you start working there,
2: Bob? Um, was it I'm trying to think. So was this during this time or was it oh, after? Yeah. It was maybe March of 82. The, the 1000 wasn't out yet. I don't think it was out in March. It came out a little bit after. When I got there, the first computer I had at my desk was an Ace 100. I still have the computer downstairs in my basement. Um, and um, it was serial number 626. I'm not sure if they actually sold that many, but whatever. But anyway, and I was working on the 1000. I had one of the very first 1000s when the fancy new cases came out. I actually had one on my desk for a while. Um, so, yeah, I was there, there during that era. Hmm. And uh, there was a, a brilliant VP of engineering, Dave McWhorter, who recently passed away. Uh, unbelievable software guy. Just absolutely amazing. Another excellent uh, software guy, Dave Walker, who was who I shared an office with for a while, who taught me quite a bit, and uh, I was the third software guy hired. So uh, we were, you know, everything we had our hands in.
0: So the Franklin Ace One Hundred was basically, basically a clone of the the original Apple II, like the, and then the One Thousand was an <laughs> Apple II Plus.
2: Um, well, no, they were both Apple II Plus. They included the extra sixteen K memory card. Um, this is the Ace One Hundred that is. It was just the very first machine, and they were trying to mm-hmm. get to market quickly. So they ended up buying basically off-the-shelf cases. To have a custom case made back then was expensive and slow. So they wanted to get something on the market, and uh, they, they the motherboard was very much a copy of the Apple motherboard, larger, maybe fifteen twenty percent larger in each mm-hmm. dimension. And uh, they had these other cases, and they put them in there. And wa- and while they were Getting those out and beginning to sell those, getting a name for themselves, they were also building the Ace One Thousand, which had a slightly smaller motherboard, closer to the original Apple size, uh, much nicer case design, et cetera.
0: Okay, and I guess you remember all the the lawsuit and all that kind of stuff. Is there anything you want to tell uh, us yes. about that?
2: <laughs> well, I mean, we were, you, you know, we were kind of, um, you know, we thought we were kind of rebels that. And again, I was, by the way, I got hired. I was pretty young. I was about ready to leave for college. I made. I was president of the local Atari Computer Club, and most of the Franklin engineers owned Atari computers, were members of this club. And um, I had kind of announced, hey, I've been accepted to a school out in New Mexico. I'm going to be leaving. You know, great knowing all you guys, but I'm out of here in a couple months. I got a phone call from this guy who I knew, he's one of my customers, and said, uh, I work for this little company I want you to come on over and talk to me for a while I said all right so I went over there and I was 19 years old so I I go in and um, and he says uh, let's talk about the Kim one so he and I were writing this is before whiteboards these are blackboards so on the blackboard we're drawing like right now code for the 6502 how would you do this I would do this do that and I had no idea what Franklin did and uh, he finally said hey would you like to work for me I said okay you know who are you you know what, what do you do here he's welcome to VP of engineering I said, "Oh, I didn't know. I mean, I just thought you were an Atari fan." He goes, "Well, I am, but I'm also VP of engineering." And I said, "What what are you going to hire me for?" And he says, "I want you to be a software engineer." I said, "Okay. So what do I do? Uh, I don't know what software engineers do." And he said, "Basically, what you do for the Kim, what you do for our machines—just have fun, write cool stuff. I tell you what to write, and uh, you write code." So okay, so um, that was pretty funny. Because I got home, my mother said, "You know, nowhere in the world do they hire." a nineteen year old kid without a college degree for that kind of money to write software she she just thought it was a complete scam um, so so I got my first paycheck my mother said this can't can't be real. She took it to the bank and they said, yeah, it's a real paycheck, is this is a check what's the problem My mother then was very proud of me, but she was at first convinced I was being taken in by some kind of scam artist because, <laughs> so I was nineteen wow. years old and started working there, so I was definitely young. Franklin was unconventional they they liked people without college degrees they liked people who had you know strange backgrounds et cetera, so I kind of fit in with the crowd, um, but we worked on whatever I mean the first program I was told to work on was to try to rewrite a version of the uh, prom that's on the disk controller card that loads the initial sector off the uh, the floppy drive and and executes the initial boot code it's it's two hundred and fifty six bytes long that's all you had in the in the code, so and it had to. Okay, the Apple did not have a disk controller. It's all done in software and a couple state machines done in hardware. But it's mostly a software disk controller. So the first thing code had to do was you know, use all the step promoters and, or a step promoter and pull the head back to track zero. There's no track zero sensor, so you couldn't tell if it was there. Apple saved money by not having it, this track zero sensor. So the code had to pull the disk back. Then it had to start reading bits literally off the drive, decoding it because you could only have so many zeros and ones in a row before you had a changing bit pattern. So it had to read all this stuff off, et cetera. So it was unbelievably hard to reproduce it that wasn't exactly the same. Every time I wrote it, it was either the same or it didn't work or it was over 256 bytes. So after a while, we said, there's another way to do this. Let's move on. So, I mean, over the years, we worked on... Um, I mean everything. Uh, I did a lot for those who have Franklins. I did uh, the software for the eighty-column card, and the um, a lot of the code for the dual interface card, which is a serial parallel board. Although Dave Walker did a lot of that, but I also had some input on that. So whatever we did, all kinds of stuff. Wow! And and we were definitely involved with the lawsuit. It was ongoing. We knew what was going on. You know, with the VP of engineering was right down the hall. Whenever there was any news, usually the president came over and told us what was going on. Um, and we were in the thick of it. I mean, we were the guys who were dealing with the issues. Apple had several patents. Our hardware guys were hard at work getting around those, which they did. Um, there were software issues that um, every time we tried, we kept writing new issues. I'm not sure if you want me to go off on a tangent, but there sure. are – <laughs> you know, it's funny, I bump into people who say, ah, oh, those Franklin guys, they were a bunch of idiots. This is before they knew who I worked for. Uh-huh. You know, they were too stupid. They didn't even take the word Apple out of the monitor EEPROM. And usually I just smile politely and say, you know, I work for that company. I was one of those idiots. Let me explain to you how this worked. Apple had the listings for all their code. So it was great. So if you were, if you were an engineer or you know, writing code, you could find things in the code and say, ah, oh, here's a subroutine that... I can call, that'll do something handy for me. Well, that's now an unofficial entry point. So if you move that inside our monitor, if frankly try to reproduce it and move that code any, that program wouldn't work anymore because that entry point was no longer there. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things you had to do if you're writing a card that ran into one of the plug-in cards is you had to figure out what slot you were in. And to figure out what slot you were in, you would do a a JSR, a subroutine call, to a return from subroutine. So basically you jump to a subroutine, immediately return. Then you look at the stack and you can see the return address and from that you could tell which slot you were in. Well there are hundreds and hundreds of hex sixties, which is a 65 two return from subroutine instruction. Apple never really said, use this one. So people would find them all over the code and call them. Of course, 60 is also an ASCII character. So there might be an ASCII string someplace. Someone calls into that string just to return from the subroutine. So there were like thousands and thousands of entry points in the code that we had to maintain. Mm -hmm. There were also pieces of code that would check to make sure the word Apple was there. So Franklin wasn't stupid. We realized that you couldn't put the word Franklin there, otherwise software wouldn't run. So Apple had to stay there. Uh. Um, it, just unbelievable. I mean, we probably had better knowledge about um, what code did with the Apple ROMs and Apple did. I'm I'm going to bet that that we had we were custom, we built a custom box that called every reference to the uh, EPROM and everything that was being done, and we could map all that. We we reverse engineered code all the time to see what people were doing, because we wanted to write code that was compatible but not, you know, infringing. And it came down to being almost impossible to do. So yes, Apple, you know, or Franklin did copy the Apple EEPROM, but it wasn't because we weren't smart. It was because that was the only way to make the product work correctly. And at one point, a lot of software companies writing third-party products said. We don't like Franklin. We don't like the third-party guys. We're going to make sure our code only runs on a genuine Apple. And they would do checksums of chunks of memory. Uh, They would check for the Apple string. They would do all kinds of stuff to make sure that they were running on a genuine Apple. So, you know, that was the problem. If you didn't have everything exactly the same, then you would have code that didn't work. And no one went back to the software manufacturers and said, hey, your code doesn't run on a Franklin. They would call Franklin up and say, how come you can't run this program? Uh,
0: Yeah. how did Franklin finally get around that, or like companies like Laser?
2: Well, um, I'm not sure quite what Laser did. I heard they were legal, but I, I I won't offer an opinion on that. I don't really know what their solution was. Um, Franklin, I mean, ultimately lost lawsuits, but yeah. But what Franklin did at one point, we built this thing called a soft boot, which was really super ingenious. Um, it would load. The soft boot said, "I don't. I have almost no code in EEPROM." I got lots of RAM, and you can lay overlay RAM on top of other chunks of RAM. So it would have just enough code to find a disk controller, load in the disk operating system, and on the Apple disk or Franklin disk, the Aptos disks, there was the all the stuff was there. So the all the monitor images, the the, the uh, uh, basic images, they were all on the disk image. That was the way it was always distributed. Uh, for the language card use. You had to have it on disk. So the Franklin would load it in from disk. So then we contracted out and had a couple third-party companies write us a more or less compatible basic interpreter that that could run basic programs. And um, so if you went to run some other code, it may or may not work correctly. However, what you could do, and Franklin, of course, never told anyone you could do this, but people figured it out, is you use a genuine Apple disk. You boot that up. It loads the exact Apple image in. Now your programs would all run completely compatible. <laughs> so, Interesting work. So we did, you know, we were, you know, we had non-infringing code. At least it was infr- not infringing enough, but ultimately we lost the lawsuit. Yeah. Now, th- I was told by uh, the president of Franklin that that we knew that, you know, that we were going to lose eventually. And Franklin's goal all along was to negotiate with Apple and say, will you license the code to us, we will work around your patents, or maybe even license the patents. But we license the code um, because if Franklin had won, that would actually be really bad for both Franklin and Apple, because the the foreign you know, Far East companies would have come in with much cheaper machines and you know, wow. killed us. So it was not in our advantage to win the lawsuit. Actually, and people say, "Wow, you guys lost. You know, you guys you know didn't have good lawyers. We had very good lawyers." But if we won, that would have been bad for everybody. If we had lost and could negotiate with Apple, then that would have been good for Franklin and probably good for Apple, too. They would have, you know, there's more machines selling that they're getting per, you know, per dollar. They're getting, X, you know, they're getting machines, you know. Right. Yeah, not saying it right. You know what I'm saying. They'll get paid per machine. Yeah, licensing fees. But again, I'm not a lawyer, so. Okay. I was not front lines, but that was my understanding. The goal was to negotiate and get rights to use the code.
1: It's interesting. It's like an end to a means, or a means to an end, Um, almost like a a little bit of martyrdom, too. Like, you know, Franklin did this. They knew they were going to lose the lawsuit, but, you know, hopefully it would come out all good in the end. I'm I'm not too – I don't remember too much about the end of Franklin. Um, Did they get the licensing, or did it just kind of – did Franklin kind of disappear?
2: No. um, Basically, they lost – Uh, the major we we won various lawsuits and then, but we lost the big one at the end, and we had to pay Apple, you know, whatever a big probably big chunk of money. And I don't know if there's an agreement to stop selling those machines, but um, that's about the point where I left. Actually, I I resigned from the company, and uh, a week later is when they declared bankruptcy. Wow, uh, chapter, chapter. I was 11, the, the not so severe one. Again, I'm not a lawyer.
0: Yeah. And, okay. <laughs> um,
2: so I was in old debt, so I never got paid for my vacation time. But anyway, so they then started buying uh, designs from third party companies uh, who you know, were manufactured overseas and apparently were okay with Apple. And they, so they had another series. So they had like the ACE 500, which is a really neat little computer, uh, like the, the 2000 series, which is also a nice machine. And they went into PC business with – I think it was called the PC-8000 and finally decided that the future for them was like electronic dictionaries, you know, handheld devices. Mm-hmm. And and those, that, that is the thing.
1: same company. Okay. Yeah. Yep. I remember those.
2: Franklin Electronic Publishing. They changed their name. I don't know when that took place actually, but at some point they changed from Franklin Computer to Franktronic, or, or Franklin Electronic Publishers or Publishing. Now, my brother – see, I started in 82. My brother, John, started at Franklin in 83 and he retired from them just a couple of years ago. So he stayed with them through most of their history. Wow. Well,
0: and that's, um, Bob is so just closing out the part about Franklin. Then, do you know of, uh, you know, do you know of, uh, unbiased or, uh, you know, an accurate, um, you know, story, story about Franklin that you, that you've seen online or anything?
2: Uh, that, I mean, most, most of them are online are pretty accurate. Actually, if you find a lot of them, you'll see that I've thrown comments in. There was, okay. again, Franklin was a really, really fun company to work for. It was fast. It was furious. It was, um, uh, some guys I worked with later said it must have been a great company because they said you have about 15 years worth of storage and you're only there for two years. Things happen so quick there. Things are just, you know, you just meet people.
1: Kind it kind of sounds uh, like Google, what they do. You know, well, they bring people in with or without degrees and let them have fun to help yeah, you create was, for the company.
2: At the VCF Midwest, uh, like, Last year, the year before, I got to talk to these guys about what it was like at Franklin. I said, You know, Google is a cool company, all kinds of cool stuff, but there were a lot of really cool companies back in the 70s and 80s to work for, too. And I, Franklin was one of them. Franklin was really a neat company. Um, we had, you know, all kinds of guys coming in. You, you guys know who Steve Ciarcia is? He was, mm-hmm. yep. you know, Byte Magazine. Circuit seller? We were going to try to do a clone of the IBM PC. We had some of the first two PCs in the state of New Jersey were on my desk and Dave Walker's desk. So we were tearing into those, reverse engineering them. The hardware guys were taking them apart. And um, they decided maybe we could buy a design off the shelf quicker than designing from scratch. And um, one of the companies they contracted with or to talk with was Steve Ciarcia's company. I, I don't know what the exact consulting company was, but anyway... And the uh, VP of engineering was always nice to us, but, you know, Dave uh, McWhorter came in and said, you know, we got CRCA coming in. He is, you know, he said, you, know, you guys know who he is. Don't look foolish. Dig into it, you know everything you can. Find out whether he's got a good product or not. But he, but he kind of was saying, you know, don't. Don't make this look bad. Make sure you know this <laughs> inside now. Okay, so we were studying this machine like crazy. So we sat down, and all these guys came in. Steve Sears, was the end of the table, and it was like a great honor to meet this guy. I think we all brought in Byte magazines for him to sign. And um, we're asking questions, and, and his people were answering all the questions. We realized, this is really cool. He, he's a smart guy, but he's got a bunch of really smart guys sitting around him. They did maybe the design work. And they're answering the questions, but it's you know he obviously is smart enough to pull in all these really good people. I think he was doing fun projects. Maybe this wasn't quite as much fun, but uh, anyway. So we walked out of there thinking you know, they got a nice product. We ended up not using it. We did end up designing our own. But years later, I bumped into him at what embedded system conference up in Boston, and um, I said, hey, you know I met you before, and I got talking to him, and and uh, he said. I remember you. You were the kid sitting at the table. He said I couldn't forget what you were doing there. He said, you're technical he said you are asking tactical questions. He said you look like you were a high school kid or something. Yeah, that was me. <laughs> so yeah, Steve Sirota remembered that. Yeah, I was the high school kid. Wow. There are there a lot of technically accurate things on the, the, the net about Franklin. I mean, they, the, the history was pretty neat. Um, and uh, I mean, I worked with this one guy whose son was becoming a lawyer, and. Something came up about, you know, I worked for Franklin. He goes, you heard Franklin? He says, we study them in our, in our IP classes that, you know, for, they still study that in law school. And he became an intellectual property lawyer. So he's, uh, but he kind of was laughing. He said, I have to tell my professor I know when the engineer is involved with this.
0: Well, yeah, I would think that probably Compact, of course, and, and Franklin would be two key companies to study for, for that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, is there any, any, uh, any last shots you'd like to put out there? About the SWTPC
2: reproductions or your Kim products or Franklin? Um, yeah, if is my webpage. <laughs> um, <and> the, nothing <coughs> particularly. I mean, um, it was uh, fun talking to you guys. But anyway, yeah. it was, um, you know, a lot of the guys who worked at Franklin are kind of quiet, but there are some neat webpages around for guys who are there. By the way, um, I just meant to say, that, I'm sorry, this will be quick. That's okay. That we, we're looking for different kind of people to do things, and we're looking for someone to do technical writing because the technical writing was done by the engineers and it was you know engineers speak it wasn't for average people and Joel Schusterman the president of Franklin wanted computers made for people not for engineers he respected engineers he, he was an engineer but he wanted people to be able to read the manuals so they, they hired this this fellow named uh, Sal Mineta that he interesting background he just he like wandered around South America and all kinds of stuff and uh he was writing user manuals and uh ultimately they came up with this really neat manual if you look um online if you do a google search for uh the territorial imperatives of the trumpeter swan i know that sounds odd you'll find a great discussion about franklin user manuals and uh sal was certainly a very cool guy did all kinds of neat things was still certainly around kicking still but um, he made some really neat user manuals. But there's a great discussion about how fun our manuals were back then. We talk about doing backups and copy protection and stuff that, as they said in this discussion, that you would never put in a manual nowadays. So, Frank okay. it was a fun place to work.
0: Hey, um, I got one last thing, Bob. Have you ever considered going to uh, Kansas Fest, or have you been to that? It seems uh, like it seems like you'd be a great, you know, that would be a fun thing—a bunch of Apple II people.
2: No, I'm actually. Don't really keep up that much with the Apple II stuff. Um, I obviously work for Franklin. I know the Franklin products, but I just—I um, mean, I go to the, the uh, VCF shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, I enjoy those, and like, I, I go every year now to East, which is of course New Jersey, quick drive, and yeah. uh, also Midwest, which is you know Chicago area. Drive. Yep, which is uh, drive, and hopefully next year I'll start going down to the one in Southeast, down Georgia. Yeah, we hope to see you. All
0: right, well, we're going to wrap it up, and thank, thanks very much for coming on. And Bob's website is uh, Corsham Tech, which is, of course, it's going to be in the show notes, but it's C-O-R-S-H-A-M-Tech.com. Yes. And if you'd like to meet and uh, talk to Bob and see some of his products in person, then go to VCF Midwest, which is coming up in – I don't have it up, but early September.
2: Yes, that will be there.
0: Isn't it the first weekend of September? I I believe. Uh, Something like that. But just do a quick search and you you can find that. Our previous show notes we've – We've, we've listed it. Stay tuned for our next show coming up this Friday. We're going to publish this one right away, Bob. So then we'll have our regular show coming out uh, this upcoming Friday, May 20th. And so Jeff and I will be talking about the Epson HX20 and the Grid Compass. Hmm. So find all our shows at historyofpersonalcomputing.com. Send feedback to feedback at historyofpersonalcomputing.com. We'd especially love to hear from anyone about SWTPC products or, or about Franklin, you know, in, in reference to, to this show. Tell someone about us, please. Write a review on iTunes. Help spread the word on Facebook or Google Plus or Twitter. And uh, that's going to be it for today. Just remember caveat emptor let the buyers beware. Even though this wasn't an eBay show. (laughs) See, (laughs) See you next time.
1: Bye bye.